1: Okay, before I get to my next guest, Jane Blaylock, I want to remind you about a few more of our sponsors, starting with our friends over at Finn Cycles. Are you, like me, always considering new golf equipment, maybe a new driver? Well, let me reset your thinking because I discovered Square's golf shoes. The patented Square Toe provides balance, stability, and a wider base for increased connection to the ground, effectively increasing your swing speed by 2.2 miles per hour and an average of 9 yards of distance independent testing proves it. That's right. It's proven in science. Go to squares.com. That's S-Q-A-I-R-Z.com and get Squares 30-day money back guarantee. Use promo code distance for $20 off. Remember, distance comes from swing speed and swing speed comes from your connection to the ground. And folks, I wouldn't tell you about it if I didn't experience it for myself. I've never felt more stable in my golf swing, which allows me to swing faster and launch it further. Squares, the distance golf shoe. And folks, this segment of the show is sponsored by our friends over at the PGA Tour Superstore.
0: This segment of the show is brought to you by the PGA Tour Superstore. See why golfers everywhere are proud to call PGA Tour Superstore their golf pro shop. Visit them online at PGATourSuperstore.com. Now back to Chris and more of the show.
1: Okay, now back in next on the tee with me is LPGA Hall of Famer Jane Blalock. Let me remind you about Jane's background. She's from Portsmouth, New Hampshire. She played her college golf at Rollins College in Winter Park, Florida, just outside of Orlando, where she graduated with her degree in history. She was inducted into their Hall of Fame back in 1977. She won the New Hampshire Amateur Championship three times from 1965 to 1968. She won the Florida Intercollegiate Championship in 1966 and was the New England Amateur Champion in 1968. She turned pro in 1969 and was named the LPGA Rookie of the Year that year. She got her first win on tour here in Atlanta at the 1970 Lady Carling event. She was named the Most Improved Golfer on tour in 1970 and 71. Jane won the inaugural Dinosaur Colgate Winners Circle Tournament, which was the richest prize ever on the LPGA Tour at the time. She would go on to win the Colgate Triple Crown in 1975 and 77. She teamed with Raymond Floyd to win the Mixed Championship in 1978. She holds the professional golf record for most consecutive cuts made at 299. In 1983, she became only the seventh player in LPGA Tour history to earn a million dollars in career earnings. She was named the 1985 Comeback Player of the Year, coming back from a herniated disc in her back. And all, Jane won 27 times on the LPGA Tour and four times on the Japanese Tour. She was inducted into the Legends Hall of Fame in 2014 and the New Hampshire Golf Hall of Fame in 2018, and I'm very honored she is back with me again tonight here on Next on the T. Hey, Jane, thanks for coming back on the show.
2: Hey, Chris, it's always a pleasure to be with you. I love the show.
1: Thank you very much. Jane, I, I I want to start off by getting your thoughts. Here we are in Ryder Cup. We're just a little north of the Solheim Cup, which is just a couple of weeks ago, and I wanted to start by getting your thoughts on on what you saw at the Solheim Cup. I mean, those matches are absolutely spectacular, and they've really been great for growing the game of golf. I'm a little concerned that we keep losing to the European team on both the men's and women's sides, where we've lost four of the last six on both sides. What are your thoughts about what you saw?
2: Well, uh, first of all, it was great for women's golf. Uh, it's great for the international component of women's golf, but I. You know, I tend to be candid and I do have my thoughts and, uh, you know, watching it. I was not there in person. Uh, I've talked to, um, just had an event recently where I spent time with Laura Davies and Nancy Lopez and Julie Inkster and Pat Hurst and those that were there. But my impression was that the uh, U.S. team spent more time uh, kind of uh, engaging the crowd than they did on focusing on their own game. It was a little bit, um, to me as I'm watching and obviously rooting for the US team. Uh and it's as if they expended their energy on the uh on the rallying cry as opposed to just uh, you know, making those putts and uh and having that game face on. So um uh, and I think the camaraderie of the European team was very evident. Uh and less so on the American side. So I think that's something that the next captain um, is going to have to uh, have to deal with. So that's my uh, my honest um, you know answer.
1: So, Jane, one of the things that um, I've heard some other folks talk about, and, and you mentioned the camaraderie, is that something that we lack? Because for the most part, outside of this one week, every other year for the Ryder Cup and the Solheim Cup, our players are individuals. They're sort of sole proprietorship. But for that one week out of the year they gotta come back and now they gotta to try to be a team and they gotta to get together and it's gotta be all about about, about team one, which is something that they're not used to. Is that is, is that an issue? Do we need to become more comfortable in team play that the European team is, is much better at, or how do we get that camaraderie that we seem to be lacking?
2: You know, I'm uh, I believe me, I would be the next captain if I had an answer for that. But I <laughs> I think that uh it's, uh, you know, even the European players. I mean, the uh, latest European tour is thriving now, and they have their own individual, uh, you know, challenges and, uh, and goals. And um, so I don't think that is the answer. I think somehow they just seem to handle it better and uh, playing the underdog role. You know, they weren't expected to win. You've got the credentials of the U.S. team, and everything looks great on paper. But you had you know, so many great stories um, uh on on the European team. Um uh, you know, Matilda Castron who had to had to win a tournament to get into it. Emily Pedersen, who failed in her last Solheim. And so you had those stories that, uh, you know, failure is the greatest uh, recipe for success in many cases. And uh I think that maybe the American team uh, was a, a bit overconfident and just didn't seem to have that passion.
1: So to to that end, right, you, you talked about how on paper they would be the underdogs, we would be the favorites. But again, we've lost four of the last six on both sides. Isn't it time that we need to start to look at ourselves as the underdog? Like we, you know, being great on paper and all that sort of stuff is nice, but the results say we're not as good as they are, so we need to start playing up that underdog role.
2: Oh yeah, they have to get better uniforms to start. <laughs> 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 where they, where they look better on television. and they just have to be, you know, have to care more as a team. And I, I said, I wish I knew how you could uh, create that. But uh, you know, uh, you know, they have even Julie Engster, who was just, you know, she won her two Solheim Cups and last the third because of Suzanne Pedersen's great putt on the last hole. But the coach and the leader can only take the team so far. They really have to band together and uh, and, and and to try to you know to um, you know become friends and really just get, get the fire in their belly. And I wish um, wish I knew how to make them do that, but um, it's something they're gonna have to fix.
1: It's one of the great failings of whether it's the LPGA tour or whoever whoever you might want to throw out there as the 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 group that didn't get this thing together, but that we didn't get an opportunity to see you and your peers play in a Solheim light cup, um, you know, back when you guys were out on tour.
2: Well, I have to say, I, I have uh, very few regrets of my life in golf because uh, I got as much out of my game as I could possibly have. But uh, because of my tenure, um, I retired just before the Solheim cup existed and I really do miss that because that is the ultimate competition. But with that said, we had, at that time, uh, European golf was not a big deal. It was more um, the Japanese golf. You had Ayako Shimodo, You had Chako Higuchi. You had so many other great players from Japan. So we had uh, it was kind of a, a comparative event. It was called the uh, – we had a Pioneer Cup and the Ray Cup. Always played over in Japan, but it was U.S. versus Japan, and I will never. Uh, it's the most nervous I've ever been in my entire life, and it was it was such fun. So just to have had some taste of international competition, even though it wasn't uh, the level of the Solheim Cup.
1: And Jane, speaking of your time over in Japan. You won the world ladies championship over there in 75 and you, you backed it up by doing it again the next year in 76. Talk about your experience playing over there.
2: Oh, I mean, Japan is one of my favorite places to play in the world. It's something that, uh, you know, their appreciation of the game of golf and, um, I just, um, and the golf courses are very, very difficult. And I was, uh, one of my strengths was certainly uh, long irons, and uh, I could I, I put putt and chip, but I could hit long irons very well. And so the courses were so long, and I grew up in New Hampshire, so I could play, you know, any type of uphill, side hill lies, mountain goat courses, which many of them were. So I had a, a slight advantage. And I say I just love the culture. I, I love being there. Um, I've always been an advocate of "When in Rome," and so uh, whatever. Um, The Japanese would be eating. I would eat the same thing. I mean, I could tell you many stories. I, after winning my first World Lady, um, I became friends with the uh, so many of the Japanese players, and uh, they always said at the reception, you know, the, the galas they had. I mean, the ceremonies were fabulous. They'd say, try this, try that, and I remember it was a raw abalone, and I ate that before having to give my speech, and I think it was still in the corner of my mouth when I had speak because I couldn't digest it. So uh, it was always, uh, you know, I kind of welcomed the change in culture where many American players like, you know, where's the next McDonald's or I don't like this food. Um, I looked at it as, wow, this is exciting. This is an adventure. And, uh, you know, what a, what a fabulous opportunity to get to um, become acquainted with a new culture. So I think part of the fact that I embraced it was um, one of the reasons for my success.
1: Jane, around that same time, mid-70s, I read that you were lobbying for a women's master's tournament. Talk about <laughs> that.
2: <laughs> oh, yes. Yeah. Well, that's an, that's another story. Um, we had, um, and I don't know if many folks know this, but um, we, we always considered the um, – you know, the Dinosaur, first the Colgate, then the Craft of Abisco, then the Craft uh, as our masters. But we had a tournament at, at Moss Creek on Hilton Head. And um it was um it was kind of they wanted to be our masters. And uh, it was I'm trying to think who was the actually the company was now sponsoring it. Um was it Northwestern? But anyway, um Augusta, and they called it the Women's Masters, and Augusta actually sued the tournament, saying you can't have a Women's Masters. And I remember um, going to court. Um, and, uh, unfortunately, in Augusta, and Arnold Palmer uh, and uh, Mr. Roberts were testifying on behalf of Augusta, and there I was testifying on behalf of the LPGA. Well, the odds were somewhat stacked, would you say? <laughs> And uh, so the LPGA was denied the right to use the name Masters. Um, that certainly wouldn't happen today in our era of equality. But um, we uh, we absolutely lost that case, and uh, we're not allowed to call it the Masters. But um, we, in our minds, it was.
1: So, do you think we're close to potentially having a Masters event on the LPGA tour? It seems like we're edging a little bit closer. With with the Augusta National Women's Amateur event that they have, boy, sure would be great to see um, our uh, LPGA players. And, and really, I'm, I'm obviously very biased, but sure would love to see a Legends event out there.
2: Yeah, I mean, it would be. Uh, I don't I am a definitely a glass top full person. Uh, you don't do what I did for years playing the game and then running a business, uh, always trying to. Uh, you know, to attract sponsors for both our legends tour and our women's PGA clinics. But, um, I think the fact they have the women's, the women's, uh, amateur is they, that's, that's all that's going to happen. I really don't, uh, foresee an additional, a professional event. Um, and certainly in, in the next, you know, 10, 15 years down the road, it would be wonderful. But I think that uh, they checked the boxes, and that was kind of an unexpected thing. And I think it made everyone really feel good. But um, it's not on par with what they do for the men. So it's, uh, it's a wonderful tournament for the amateurs, but it would have been great to have um, an event similar to what the men have for the greatest women golfers in the world.
1: Jane, I want to go back to your time when you were out on tour. And, and I think. A lot of us think about tour life and playing out on the LPGA Tour or on the men's PGA Tour as a pretty glamorous life. What was it like (laughs) for you off the course in the 70s and 80s? Because you were a pretty big star on the LPGA Tour, as big as it got back in the late 70s. But what was life like for you off the course trying to be a part of the LPGA Tour?
2: Well, um, we we probably had a lot more fun than they have today because, um, it wasn't, um, we did, we caravaned a lot. Um, we would drive from site to site. We didn't have, you know, marquee jets, net jets, um, um, century, you know, uh, w- w- whatever all those, uh, you know, shared jet companies are. And certainly the prize money wouldn't enable us to, to afford that. And the endorsements weren't there as well. But, um, we, uh, driving from site to site, you could have seven or eight players. We'd stop over on the way to the next site and, uh, we'd have fun. We'd play Jeopardy. We played Trivial Pursuit. I mean, the, the friendships and the camaraderie were just, were absolutely fantastic. And, um, you know, we didn't have our, um, our iPhones. We didn't have our GPS. We had to actually look at a real map. And even then, you know, we would have uh, coolers in the back of our car when you were allowed to. That was the, you know, before uh, uh, certainly the uh, driving drinking was an issue. I mean, we really had a lot of fun. We had softball games. We had volleyball games. Um, As I said, my only regret was not playing the Solheim Cup, but we had so much fun and those memories of all the great things that we did. Uh, we would go to concerts. We go to. I mean, I went to so many baseball stadiums, and we'd all share that. Um, there's not much we miss, and it didn't certainly didn't uh, impact our game in, in a negative way. Because I think it actually enhanced it because we had more of a real life. So uh, it was. Um, I wasn't an early pioneer. I was not certainly one of the founders. And boy, did they. You know, they certainly did their job. Uh, and paved the way. But I was in that next generation that um, I think we had a lot to do with where they are today. Um, you know, thank goodness for um, David Foster and Colgate Nabisco, you know, Colgate and then Nabisco, because they truly put women's golf on the map.
1: Jane Leroy Neiman did a painting of you <laughs> playing golf. What was it like being immortalized by a great painter like Leroy?
2: Well, that I mean, that was, you know, I think of the, uh, I've been very lucky in my life, but that's one of the coolest things that ever ever happened to me. Um, I actually, I had bought a few Lee Neiman paintings in my travels. I said, I'd like to do, I had a lot of other interests besides playing the game of golf, which is, I think, why I played well and was successful. Um, but I actually met him. I was at a dinner in New York, and I was seated at his table. And I remember he did a sketch of me and handed it to me. And he looked at me, and he said, You know, uh, I've painted a lot of uh, athletes, and some uh, athletes, um, some are paintable and some aren't. I'd really like to do a painting of you. And I have his original, you know, hanging in my my condominium in Cambridge, Massachusetts. And I look at it every single day, and it's something of which I am so proud to have him want to do a painting of me. And I think, um, I know, I think he did a painting of Nancy Lopez. But I don't know what else he's done for women in golf. So that was one of the major compliments that he wanted to
1: do it. And in 1990, you were appointed to the President's Council for Sports and Physical Fitness by President Bush. That had to be yet another tremendous honor.
2: Well, you've done some homework. (laughs) (laughs) You've gone into the trenches. Um, I have. Yes, it was, was, because at that time, Uh, it was, the President's Council was a big deal. Arnold Schwarzenegger was the chairman. And, uh, it was, there was a major emphasis on, on that whole campaign. And, uh, I mean, the most fun part was of that whole thing was going to meetings with Arnold. Uh, we went to his home, uh, in, um, well, outside of LA. We went to his restaurant, uh, in um, in Malibu, I believe it was, and he was very, very involved. In fact, I remember I had a couple of meetings with him. Uh, we met with that time, uh, uh, Bill Wells was governor of Massachusetts, and uh, Arnold and I met with him personally. So, I mean, Arnold was very, very invested. I mean, I don't think Arnold did anything that he didn't do to, you know, 110 percent. So getting to know him and being involved with him, being part of that campaign Um, and I mean, the whole, um, the the entire group of, um, the the appointees. I think Chris Everett was on the group, um, was in the group, definitely. And, um, you know, so many other interesting people. It was a fascinating time and, um, it was quite an honor. And I have this plaque that says the Honorable Jane Blaylock. So I guess that's pretty good.
1: Yes, it is. Jane, just a couple more before I let you go. And, um. You were instrumental in getting the LPGA Legends Tour started. Earlier this summer, we had the U.S. Senior Women's Open that uh, had the comeback of Annika Sorenstam and and, uh, a tremendous performance that she put on there at French Lick. And then just recently, we had the uh, BGA's charity championship, and uh, you were a part of that wonderful tournament. Talk about the Legends Tour and uh, what may be next for you guys.
2: Well, I mean that the Anaco that was fabulous. I mean the U.S. Women's Senior Open was great. That's something we have aspired to for 15 years, and I just wish they had they had done it 10 years earlier because you would have had Pat Bradley, Patty Sheehan, Beth Daniel, Meg Mallon, all the great names and winners of the U.S. Open. So they waited a little too long, but at least hey, it finally got done. But our BJ's Team Championship was so much fun. Uh, it was won by uh, Laura Diaz and Jan Stevenson. And the, uh, it was a great team. And uh, my partner was Patricia Manu-Labook, who actually won the um, – actually, she beat Annika in the early 2000s in the Craft um, Nabisco. And I have to say, we tied Annika in that event. But it came, it was drama because uh, Laura uh, Davies and Chris Johnson um, hit the par 5 into. Trish only hit it about 210 yards in the air and stopped it. And, um, on, on a very hard green. And they just missed an eagle putt to tie Jan and Laura, but it was a fabulous event. I mean, we had Julie Inkster. We had Nancy Lopez. Um, you know, you, you name it. We had, uh, you know, all the top players. It was, it was so much fun and something that BJs intends to continue. And we hope this. uh, far as the Legends Tour is concerned, to have more of those events because, I mean, we have so many of the great names that uh, all of our fans out there recognize, so we certainly hope to do uh, more events like that.
1: Jane, how can our listeners stay up to date with all the great things you're doing, whether it's following you online or it's on social media?
2: Well, there, there are a few ways. It's, um, my company is jbcgolf.com. Pride ourselves. We run the, uh you know, KPMG Women's PGA Golf Clinics. So that, um, KPMG Women's PGA Golf Clinics.com has our entire schedule of, um, clinics around the country. In fact, I was in Chicago yesterday. I just flew back today just in time to talk to you. And, um, we had we had uh we had 90 women. It was a great day at Westmoreland Country Club. We're in Dallas next Monday. We have these women's PGA clinics all over the country. Um, so it's jbcgolf.com or, you know, uh, kpmgwomenspgaclinics.com.
1: Well, Jane, I can't thank you enough for coming back and then being a part of the show again tonight. You're always so much fun to talk to. I hope we get the opportunity to catch up with you again soon.
2: Well, thanks, Chris. And, you know, I'm always a bit candid, so never a (laughs) don't.
1: Indeed. I wouldn't want it any other way. You're fantastic.
2: So, (laughs) okay, thanks so much for having me.
1: Take care, Jane. All the best to you and your family.
2: Okay, thank you.
1: That's the great Jane Blaylock, folks, and it doesn't get better than that. She is always so much fun to talk to. She makes me smile. She tells you like it is, and then that's exactly what you're hoped for, right? You want to talk to a legend and hear her share her stories and tell you the way it was and the way it should be and the way it is, and that's who Jane Blaylock is. That's why I enjoy her so much. We had her on the show a couple of months ago. Couldn't wait to get her back on, and she she was fantastic again tonight. Hopefully, we get the privilege of catching up with her again real soon.
0: located throughout Metro Atlanta. Jim Ellis Automotive, where you can always expect the best. This morning in North Carolina, wheels are spinning. Determination is winning. A passion is now a thriving business, and it shows no signs of slowing down. How? The power of a conversation. Like the one Clint Spiegel had with First Horizon Bank about starting a bike wheel manufacturing facility in Asheville. Now it's not just talk, it's rubber meets road. First Horizon Bank. Let's find a way. Go to firsthorizon.com slash Clint. First Horizon Bank, member FDIC.